This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, whether that's Rovers throwing in a drab nil-nil in the Championship or taking Newcastle all the way to a penalty shootout in the fifth round of the FA Cup, You'll always be winning with McDelivery. So, the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So, the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18+. plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. www.brfcs.com By the fans For the fans Since 1996 Welcome to BRFCS podcast number 63 I'm Wen Waihu, the BRFCS editor We last had a podcast at the end of pre-season So this is the first of the 2013-14 season We've already had three games in the league and a League Cup match at Carlisle. Chief reporter Cam is with us in the virtual studio to discuss the matches and also to look at the ins and outs of the transfer market. Uh, last week, uh, Cammy was rather busy um, celebrating Eid and uh, he's with us here today. Uh, how are you then? Morning, Red. I'm fine. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. I went to Doncaster last night, so I'm still suffering from the after effects of that, I think. But uh, yeah, yeah. You had, a, you had a good weekend last weekend? Yeah, yeah. End of Ramadan and Eid, you know, spending time with the family and stuff. That was that was really good. Um, the football didn't help on Saturday, but, mm. um, but you know, it, it, it was a good weekend. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we watched uh, the Forest game together. Um, all in all, uh, it was a pretty good performance, and uh, right at the end, you put a jinx on us, I think. <laughs> yeah, I had a feeling that we'd conceded a, a silly goal towards the end of uh, of the game, and I think it was, it was going into injury time, wasn't it, when I said? Uh, that, uh, yeah, I think I looked yeah, up, yeah. it was about 88 minutes yeah. on the board when you said it. Yeah, uh, and, and uh, yeah, lo and behold. Later, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like, like you said, it, I thought it was a pretty decent performance particularly in the first half where we you know we had two clear-cut chances with Dan 
And with Rhodes, you know, normally Jordan puts those chances away, you know, six yards out, yeah. free-ish kind of header, um, and, and he put it wide. And Dan also had one. But um, um, second half, I think, again, we had lots of pressure, you know, in the last final third, crosses coming in, but no real final ball that, you know, where you could say, oh, yeah, that was a clear-cut chance. But we did have a lot of pressure, and then we got hit with a sucker punch, um, you know, God knows what Jake Keane was doing, yeah. <laughs> what, what he did. But even then, you know, the, the strike had a lot to do because there were a lot of people in the 18-yard area, plus two men on the line, weren't there? And, and, yeah. he, and he hit it so sweet that it ended up in the bottom corner. So, you know, fair, fair play to, to, to Forrest. You know, when you come away from home, that's, you know, they defended well, they look organised, they rode their luck a couple of times, but then when they got the clear-cut chance, they, they, they took it. So, you know, fair play to Yeah, Forrest are one of the pre-season favourites to go up this uh, this time. And, uh, yeah, under Billy Davis, they look well-organised. Um, they don't look uh, premiership uh, standard, but uh, uh, certainly they, they look uh, solid enough to get out of this division. Yeah, I mean, they're one of the ones I expect to be in the top six um, come, come the end of the season. They've spent well. Um, you know they've they've brought in some some good players um, and and I know they they're continuing to look at things so I expect them to bring in a couple more uh, before the the end of the transfer window so them QPR and Wigan I would say have done the best business in in, in the league and you know I expect them uh, all, all you know three of them to be in the top six challenging firstly for automatic promotion or going up by the playoffs. And Billy Davis is a good manager at this level. Um, I know we were talking about it um, um, during the game that there's people like you know Steve Bruce, you know uh, Billy Davis, uh, Mick McCarthy. Um, these kind of people uh, know how to set teams up at this level and how to get results at this level. You know, so so I, I expect him you know to 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 get Forest close to automatic promotion and then maybe through the playoffs. Yeah. Now, looking at uh, our performance uh, with the, the, the Forest performance as a, a benchmark, um, as far as I could see, uh, we were reasonably well set up, uh, but we didn't have the, uh, uh, the, the clever triangles that they were creating. We didn't have the punch in the final third as far as I could see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- th- that's how I saw it as well. Uh, for, you know, our best chances came from uh, a judges' set pieces, really. You know, f- corners, free kicks, but uh, we didn't have that guile in the final third to to pick that killer pass or to do those clever triangles. You know, it was more we were passing around in midfield and taking it wide, and then then trying to get crosses in. Um, you know, whereas Forrest had Moweski. Uh, playing in that false number 10 position. Yeah, he was helping to link up play between midfield and and and, and the striker. So we don't we didn't have that kind of player. Uh, and we've not had that kind of player for a while. You know. um, Ruben Ricina is the closest we've got, but um, he's either brilliant or awful, you know, so so he's been inconsistent, but he he's he's the kind of player that uh, we need. You know, um, and if Ruben performed like he did for you know the thirty odd minutes that he was on against uh, Derby, then then 
you know, where we did look very good. We looked clever, you know, the movement was good. We were passing it into Ruben and he was laying it off and connecting the midfield and, 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 and helping Jordan as well. So so we at the moment we don't have that play. I mean I, I wasn't I know we we're gonna move on to the Doncaster game. I wasn't at the game uh, last night but um, just listening from commentary, um, it seemed like it was the same problem. Lots of possession, getting into good positions, and then then not producing that final ball or or not having someone who can play that killer pass. Yeah, we'll come on to the Doncaster match uh, later. But uh, uh, one thing that struck me at uh, Derby and then against Forest was uh, this uh, tippy tappy stuff that we're playing at the back. Uh, without any purpose and uh, very often it goes back to Jake Keane who promptly gives it back to them either uh, via throw-in or um, you know, a, a, poor, a poor ball out. Uh, he's not got distance on his kicks either and uh, it, it seems as though everyone's you know, not taking responsibility uh, to, uh, to move the ball up the field. Yeah, I mean, I've watched the reserves a lot of times and the under-18 sides a couple of times when 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 Gary Boyer was in charge of them. And th- the way we're playing now is very much the way he was trying to get the the uh, reserve team or the under-18 and the 21 sides to play, uh, where we used, you know, we, we it's a very similar style, keep possession um, and and try and build attacks rather than just lumping it along or playing a bit more direct. That That's the way he likes to play and he was relatively successful uh, with those sides and I think he's tried to transfer it um, over the pre-season in, into, in, into the first team um, and it's just taking a bit longer than I think even he had he'd have expected for things to gel um, in terms of um, you know, us playing in a specific way and and producing performances, uh, which which get which which get wins, but um, it's just taking a lot longer than I think even he would have expected uh, to to gel. You know, preseason wasn't the best. We didn't lose many games, but um, there were a lot of draws. And but you know, that's preseason. I never judged that, but uh, it seems to have carried on into into the season where we're not we're just not creating enough. Um, you know, we're, we're getting into good positions. They're not providing the final ball, but hopefully, you know, um, if we can get the first win against Barnsley uh, next Saturday, that will give them a bit more confidence, and we can take it on from there. Um, in the Forest game, you were mentioning about uh, Alan Judge and the quality of the uh, uh, set pieces. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, uh, some of his, uh, especially in the first half. Uh, his deliveries into uh, into the box. Um, he's, uh, he's a breath of fresh air in, in terms of uh, consistency and quality in uh, in set pieces. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, again, I wasn't at the game yesterday, but um, uh, the the games that I've seen and I've seen all of them this season, apart from the, the Doncaster game, I've been mega impressed with uh, uh, judges. Uh, um, Quality into the box. Corners are excellent. Free kicks he gets is putting him into very very dangerous areas and just being a bit unlucky uh, when with with you know people like Dan Hanley and and Rhodes not converting some of them. But he's definitely putting some really really dangerous balls in 
and and the quality is really fantastic I think um, and you know hopefully he can continue to to do that yeah um Tom Kearney came into the side yesterday against Doncaster and he was uh, he's left footed uh, he was taking uh, quite a number of the uh, free kicks uh, and corner kicks uh, and he he's very very good as well uh, with the with the dead ball so uh, yeah we've got uh, all of a sudden, two two really consistent uh, uh, set set piece uh, uh, players now. Of course, Morton Gams Pedersen, when he's on when he's on his game, is absolutely world class with some of his deliveries. But uh, sometimes he's a little bit on the hit and miss side, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, Morton is used to be like ninety nine percent of the time he was getting good quality bowling, but uh, last four or five years, it's very very hit and miss if he's having a good day then some of his corners are almost <laughs> uh, undefendable you know you, you're just relying on luck when he swings them in with, with that power he's got but when he's off his game which is you know been more often than not then it's it can be abysmal uh, the, the, the service that he puts in um, and you know I, I know we'll, we're going to talk about transfers later on and that there's, there's stuff about him that you know that's going to be possibly happening next week. Right, yeah. We'll talk about that later. Um, he's obviously he's, he's not been uh, in the uh, matchday uh, squad. And uh, in central midfield, uh, do you think we've, we've missed him uh, for that little bit of quality of the ads uh, with the odd through ball and uh, sort of calming influence? Yeah, I think, I mean... You know, I'm I'm a big Morton fan. I think he's absolutely superb. Uh, what he's done for our club over the you know nearly ten years now. Um, um, but um, I think what we've missed is experience. His experience. Um, you know, he's not the best. You know, he hasn't played wonderful for for a long time. But uh, when he's in that midfield, he gives us that little bit of experience and know how. And you know, like I said earlier, if he's on his game, then. Then he can produce that final ball or get into a position, uh, a dangerous position, and, and maybe score a goal or two. Um, so I think we've missed that a little bit. But you know, I, I, I can't say that if had Morton been playing, we'd have got different results in those games because you know his form over the last two years hasn't suggested that he's you know a game changer for us. Um, but um, I think we have missed. He's a little bit of experience. Um, you know, he's played at the highest level, uh, both for Norway and for Rovers. So, that you know, he's he's got that experience. Yeah. Now, in the central midfield spots uh, yesterday, uh, we had uh, Tom Kearney and Jason Law. So that's broken up the partnership of uh, Alex Morrow and uh, Jason Law against Forest. Um, we seem to be uh, very much, how should I say, sedentary in, in the centre of the park. Um, hardly any movement at all. Uh, any movement was sideways or backwards. Um, I think there was one point in the first half where I think it was Jason Law had the option of, of, a, a, of a through ball from, uh, say, 40 yards out out wide left which would have uh, ripped the, the right side of the forest defence apart and uh, he just didn't he just couldn't produce it could he yeah I mean um, when you have bought, essentially Morrow and uh, Law are the same player you know they're both defensive midfielders um, and 
they don't have the ability to to pass the ball uh, forwards. You know, they no problems passing it backwards or sideways, which is you know, which is fine. That's the game. But when you play them both in central midfield, uh, you you can't play. You can't hit teams on the break. You know where, and and they don't have the passing ability or or the ability to make those runs into the box, um, which then allows the opposition to keep their shape. You know, when you've got midfielders running, uh, you know, making late runs or or getting into the box, that then gives the opposition a problem in terms of do we mark the strikers or do we uh, track the run of the midfielders and it can um, destroy that defensive shape that they have. Um, whereas, you know, when you have Morrow and Law, they're more sitting kind of midfielders. They They sit and... They provide good defensive cover, um, but they don't have the passing ability or uh, the want uh, to, to, to get into the box and into dangerous position. And I think, uh, particularly at home, you 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 can't have both your midfielders sitting there <laughs> in front of the defence because uh, it makes it easy for the opposition to keep the shape and then um, you know grow in confidence. So I, th- I think we lost out there. And the other problem is. You went in in the second off. We were had numerous opportunities to hit Forrest on the break, and the ball came into midfield. And rather than pass the ball forward and keep that momentum, it was being passed backwards or sideways, and it allowed Forrest to get the shape back. So, so, so that's a problem as well when you, when you play the, the both of them in midfield. I mean, I'm not going to get on to this Jason Law bashing that's been going on. Um, on on the message board and also on on Twitter, um, you know, I, I think for what he does, you know, he's. I think people want him to be some kind of two guy figure, you know, but that's not his game. His game is uh, essentially he's a defensive midfielder, and and you know, I think he does that quite well. Um, but I think people want him to become. A player that he isn't, you know, in terms of setting up attacks, etc. Um, that that's not his game. He's he's a defensive midfielder in essence, and when he does that, um, you know, he, he does it quite well. Um, but you know, with the way Rovers are playing at the moment, with the formation, he's been his limitations in terms of going forwards are being exposed, and and he's getting a lot of flack from fans. Um, um, but you know, I, I think if if we were to change to a three-man midfield with with Lowy or Morrow sitting, um, uh, you know, as the defensive midfielder, and then you had two players in front of them providing the attacking interest, that would work better for them. But uh, that's not the way we're playing at the moment. Yeah, uh, one thing that really struck me, impressed me about Jason Law was his athleticism. Um, there was a point right at the end of the derby game where uh, he'd, he'd given their attacking midfielder, I think it was, uh, about three or four yards head start on him. This was maybe the 80-odd minute, and uh, he, he chased him down from the halfway line to about 20 yards out, put in a good tackle. Um, he's absolutely phenomenal in, in terms of his, uh, his athleticism. And uh, like you say, I think yesterday suggests that Gary Boy also knows that uh, uh, Alex Morrow and uh, 
uh, and uh, Jason Law in a midfield central pairing doesn't work. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a case of if if you do want uh, Jason Law in there, then you've got to work out creative players to put around him. Yeah, definitely, um, and we saw a little bit of that um, last night. Yeah, very much so. Uh, just uh, moving on from the Forest game, I went to Derby for my first match in a year. I'd been to Leicester one year ago at the beginning of last season. I noticed the difference in uh, levels from Premiership the year before that to the Leicester match. And again, going to watch the Derby match, it was yet another bump down, downwards. Uh, I thought Derby were relatively poor, shall we say. And uh, Rovers were round about that level slightly slightly better, I thought. But um, yeah, it's quite quite a shock to to see to see the difference in in uh, in levels in in a year. I know we, we we talked about this briefly at the Forest game, and you were saying that you know it was like that the whole of last year. So you, you're kind of uh, getting used to it. But for me, it's quite a shock to see the difference in in levels. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, uh, we, I've adjusted myself <laughs> yeah. to the quality of the championship. Um, uh, but yeah, for, for like like you said, you've not you've not had that chance to see. Yeah. Uh, particularly when you watch a game on TV, you don't. You know, it's completely different perspective to when you're you're in the stadium, and it's when you're in the stadium that you realise that you know there's you know this type of football in the championship is completely different to to what you see in the in the Premier League. Um, it's more atom kind of stuff, you know, high octane, lots of mistakes being made. But um, in the Premier League, um, you, if you make a mistake, you're going to get punished. Um, whereas in this level, sometimes you can make two or three mistakes and still not get punished, and 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 that's the the big difference uh, that that I've seen. Um, and you know, I think it's. I've said before. I think the championship is the most competitive league in European football. Um, you know, it's it might you know when you when you look at the table last year, I think there were six points from us and a playoff spot. You know, which yeah. shows you know, and considering the la- amount of last minute goals we conceded throughout the season, you know. Um, that's nothing, six points. But but that shows how competitive this league is. Uh, you know, anyone can beat anyone, and the difference between success and failure is is very very small. Um, you know, I think I, I worked out we'd cost fifteen points. I think we'd lost um, in due to last minute or goals happening after eighty eight minutes onwards. So you know. That just tells you know if we'd hung on for two of those games, where we'd, you know, where we were, you know, winning and we ended up conceding equalisers, six points is nothing. Yeah. Um, now, having said that, uh, I was pretty shocked by the the, the difference in levels. Uh, if you kind of recalibrate and 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 accept that that's where we're at now, uh, the derby match was pretty enjoyable. Um, I thought we were the better side. Uh, I don't think there was any doubt about that in terms of uh, not just possession, but uh, chances we created, uh, the, the the standard and style of football we played. Uh, I thought we were the better team. 
the handball was uh, bizarre. I think that Alex uh, Marrow was was being manhandled, but uh, uh, the hand going up seemed to be uh, kind of a reaction to that. Um, uh, uh, nobody complained about uh, the fact that he handballed it, but uh, uh, linesman and the referee didn't uh, didn't accept that he was being uh, uh, pushed and pulled. Went uh, one down at forty three minutes, I think it was, having been by far the better side. Rovers were really comfortable up until forty minutes, and uh, looking very very good for uh, for going on to win the match. So in the second half to to have come back. Uh, to carried on, uh, play, you know, trying to play a game uh, and, and get the equaliser. I, I thought, uh, you know, as a game of football, it was really good. And uh, the Leon best goal, I thought, was absolutely fantastic. Uh, Chris Taylor, uh, he, he looks uh, he looks good when he's uh, round the eighteen yard box. Uh, he's a, he's able to beat his man. And uh, he's also able to get in a decent ball into the box. Doesn't do it enough, but uh, I think that's not Chris Taylor's fault. I think it's the way the, the team sets itself up. But uh, he, he delivered a great ball in, and uh, Liam Best, uh, nice and ap- acrobatic, uh, a very fine finish. It was, uh, it was, it was great to get, uh, get the goal and uh, a very deserved point. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing is we had two pretty good shouts for penalties ourselves uh, in, in that game. Um, one was, you know, a handball and um, the other one was, you know, Jordan Rhodes getting sandwiched by two players right in injury time. Yeah. You know, uh, I think had that been at Ewood, particularly the last one, we'd probably have got a penalty, um, you know. So, so we had two pretty good shouts um, for penalties ourselves. And like you said, for a long period in that game, we were in total control. Um, you know, passing the ball, good movement, um, and, and looking really, really dangerous. And and best bestie getting a fantastic equaliser. You know, right, right at the death. So, so yeah, I, I, I was quite positive after that performance. You know, away from home, first day of the season, and and you know, we looked pretty good. Yeah. I think I predicted a, a, a draw for for that game. I went for one one, I think, or two two. What what did you go for? Yeah, I, I went for a, a draw as well. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was saying um, first day of the season away from home, get a point. Um, you know, it's pretty good. Uh, set you you're off and running. Um, and but then I'd hoped we'd <laughs> follow that up by possibly beating Forest, but but that didn't that didn't materialise. Yeah, yeah. Now, one thing about uh, um, the way we're set up, Todd Kane and uh, the right winger and uh, Tommy Spur and the left winger, whoever is there, uh, it seems to me that we, we don't seem to work the, the flanks very well. Um, the ball goes you know, across the back line, maybe up to uh, the right midfielder, then it goes back and across the back line again. It doesn't progress from there. We, we haven't really got the uh, uh, the right side, the right flank the left flank working together properly. It's uh, it's a real shame because uh, when we get into that f- final third, um, we do have players who can put the ball in and uh, create uh, create chances. We're just not able to uh, to to uh, to build up play uh, down the flanks uh, to get into those decent positions enough. 
Um, I thought uh, Todd Kane, I was really, really disappointed with, with him having heard so much uh, about him last season. And, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, can't, I can't imagine how, how he'll be able to go back to Chelsea and, uh, and have a chance of getting into their side um, at all. Uh, I don't know whether it's it's something from the end of last season to the beginning of this season that's uh, that's happened, but um, he, he really did disappoint me. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, this is not the Todd Kane that we had towards the end of last season. Um, I think he's just taking a little bit longer uh, to to come to terms with whatever changes have been made in sort of style of play, etc. Um, so, so we'll, we'll just have to wait and see how things develop with him but he was probably our best player over the last five or ten games um, last season um, and and um, this season your know, f- first few games he's, he's made mistakes or been caught out of position um, he's not he's not getting forward as much as he was um, in uh, towards the back end of last season he was like a real good attacking threat he was making these long busting runs uh, overlapping the wingers and um, causing problems for opposition fullbacks, um, he's not done that um, thus far. But um, I'm sure, um, hopefully, you know, within with a few more games, he'll get back to that level. But it's not the Todd Kane that that we saw last year. Um, I'm hoping that um, we see him again very very soon. Yeah. Uh, on the other flank, we had a debut for Tommy Spur. And uh, yeah, he put in a, a very solid performance at left back defensively. Uh, he put put in some fantastic blocks uh, on crosses and shots. Uh, very impressed with that. And uh, his throw, I, I think everyone, <laughs> when his first throw came in, everyone was absolutely stunned. Um, it's around uh, about the same distance that uh, Morton gets on, or possibly slightly longer. But it's the trajectory. It's like a, a, a rocket going in. Really good throws, and uh, we made uh, extensive use of that at Derby, far more than we did at uh, at Doncaster last uh, last night. But um, yeah, that's a, that's a fair old weapon he's got. Yeah, it's like a missile, you know. Like you said, he, it's similar in distance to Morton. Morton is more loops in, um, so it gives defenders more of a chance to clear it. But his is like a missile fired in and. It only takes a defender to misjudge that, and it might end up heading it into their own net or something. So, so yeah, I think that could be a, a big re- weapon for us um, as the season goes on, particularly at home uh, where you have more pressure and uh, you get, you know, hopefully throw-ins in and around the area, and he can launch those um, in, into the box. Yeah, and uh, central defence, Grant Hanley, Scott Dan. It's funny, um, they look solid for 90% of the time, but when the ball, ball comes in, especially from the, from the flanks, uh, sometimes it's like Keystone Cops there. And, uh, yeah, um, we conceded again yesterday for, from a set piece uh, where I, I thought that the central defenders should have been trailing. I, I know that you say it was offside, but even so, uh, against Derby... In fact, Derby Forest and uh, Doncaster, uh, there just does seem to be this uh, panic that sets in when the ball comes in, uh, uh, especially from the fr- from the flanks. Yeah, I mean that's been the one thing that I've noticed um, this year um, at set pieces. 
we're not defending them with any kind of confidence. Uh, um, there's been a number of uh, times um, in the first sort of three, four games where set pieces, of course, there's a lot of problems. We're not picking up men or, um, you know, like yesterday's goal, um, you know, flung into the box. We should be dealing with that. We weren't, and um, the striker was left almost clear, you know, free header. You can't be making those mistakes uh, from from set pieces, particularly at this level where teams work on set pieces. You know that's a big weapon for for teams. So, so that that's the one thing I've noticed this year um, um, that we're not dealing with set pieces properly. Whereas in previous years under Kinokyo, sorry, I can't even say his name. I'll get <laughs> angry. And and Berg and even Appleton. It was the midfield that wasn't giving any defensive cover, you know. So our defence was always exposed because the midfield wasn't wasn't providing any cover. We seem to have sorted that out, um, um, but now we've got this problem with with set pieces um, where we're we're not defending them with any great kind of confidence. Um, again, I hope it's just a, a problem that's because of. You know, so many new players and the team hasn't gelled and uh, defensive formations, etc. still being sort of uh, worked on. Um, and, and I hope it isn't something that's going to uh, dog us for, you know, for the whole season because we'll, we'll get ourselves into big, big problems if we continue to defend set pieces in the manner that we have been doing uh, thus far this season. Um, teams... You know, at this level, we expose our weakness. Yeah. Last night at uh, Doncaster, uh, mm, first half we looked pretty decent. They scored a goal from a set piece. They'd had one or two little chances, and uh, they'd given a few, a couple of warnings before that. You know that they could go through our central defence. Uh, so they, they got the goal, and you know we were doing pretty well up till then. I thought. But second half, we we just huffed and puffed. By the end of the game, uh, uh, there are a good fifteen hundred plus Rovers fans. Excellent turnout, very noisy uh, from the away end. Um, everyone was just so frustrated uh, because there was just a lack of guile there, a lack of uh, knowledge about what you do. Uh, it, was, it was just incredibly frustrating. Pretty dire uh, towards the end. And uh, their second goal was a fluke, but um, yeah, I mean, even so, we didn't we didn't put them under sufficient the goalkeeper under any any kind of pressure throughout uh, the ninety minutes. Hardly had a decent uh, decent chance. Terrible. Yeah, I mean, the, the problem is, I think the confidence is starting to go. You know, whereas against Derby, they would look confident, um, passing the ball, etc. Um, I wasn't at the game last night, so it's hard for me to judge. I was just listening uh, to, to uh, Radio Lancashire commentary, uh, so it, but it, it did seem that that confidence is starting to get eroded. Um, you know, we were doing okay um, in the first half, but as soon as we conceded a goal, uh, it seemed to uh, go to pot. You know, uh, and like you said, again, I'm just judging on the radio commentary. Um, second half. We seem to have a lot of pressure, but the final ball was just just not good enough. And and Doncaster, yeah, yeah, you know, the second goal was 
possibly valuable. If he meant that, then <laughs> uh, you know, fair play. But it looked like it's a cross that's just looped into the into the top corner. Um, but but we never really threatened them. Um, and um, I think it was one. Sh- I read a stat that there was just one shot on target. Um, and so you know that that's poor. Um, and it's a concern because the longer we go without winning a game the more the pressure's going to build and build and build. Um, and Barnsley is a huge game in that respect because um, if we lose that one as well, um, oh, I think it, the pressure will be absolutely immense, uh, both on Boyer and the players, you know, because after that we've got, I think it's Bolton. Um, yes. Next. And, you know, local derby, Bolton um, are one of my favourites, uh, again, to to be in the top eight at least, and possibly the top six. So, so it doesn't get any easier. You know, these were the two games, Doncaster and Barnsley, that I thought, well, possibly we can get four or even six points from, and that'll get us up and running uh, for for the Bolton. And then the Burnley game is the next one after that. So, to, you know, that's two local derbies back to back. So, so yeah. Um, the Barnsley game is absolutely massive now. Um, after what happened last night, yeah. Was it? Is it true that? Um, I mean, I, there was some reports. Um, I think it was on the message board or, or Twitter where uh, people were saying Law came over to the crowd at the end and, and was clapping them, and he got booed. I, don't, I mean, did did you see any of that? Or no, I missed that. I missed no. that. Yeah. yeah. So you, you were saying that there were fifteen hundred odd fans. There, uh, I assume we, it was a good atmosphere, and uh, were there many on from from Doncaster? Yeah, the uh, it's a new stadium, Keepmore Stadium. It's the first time we've been there. It's the first time we've been to Doncaster in fifty years, I think. But uh, um, there are about eight eight and a half thousand plus on in the stadium, um, half full or half empty, whichever way you look at it. Um, the Rovers' end was. Uh, Pretty full, actually. Uh, I'd say minimum of fifteen hundred, um, possibly two two thousand, uh, somewhere between there. I think um, Doncaster fans were kind of spread around, um, but yeah, not not much of an atmosphere from the Donca- Doncaster fans until uh, towards the end, uh, when they were uh, getting a little bit noisy. But uh, Rovers fans in the first half were really loud, very very good atmosphere. Before the game, uh, they were uh, uh, when the Rovers uh, players came on the pitch. Uh, they were in good voice, and, uh, yeah, throughout the first half. Um, second half, it uh, went a bit flat, and uh, people started to get a little bit frustrated. Then, but uh, yeah, very very good following on a Friday night. Yeah, uh, very very good. Good yeah. good, and I mean Jordan Rhodes. Uh, what was his performance like? Because I've been a bit concerned. Uh, he looks to have lost a lot of confidence uh, in the games that I've seen, um, yeah. and um, you know he's missing chances that he would uh, normally put away. Um, I, I've seen the one that he missed last night, where he went around the goalkeeper, uh, could have gone down. Actually, he was a bit too honest for his for his own good. Uh, keeper would have probably been sent off, but he went around the keeper, tight angle. And he curled it past the far post, but um, 
you know, last year was virtually missing no chances. You know, it was amazing. Uh, almost every chance was hitting the target at least. Um, seems to have just lost a bit of confidence. Yeah, it's funny these things. Uh, if uh, if I'd never heard of Jordan Rawls um, and I'd been to see him Derby, Forest, and Doncaster, uh, I, I wouldn't... Uh, I wouldn't think much of him, to be honest. Um, his movement is uh, is nothing special. Um, he's pretty stationary for much of the time. Uh, when you know when he could be making runs, um, his hold up play is uh, not very good at all, and uh, he's uh, he's not been taking the few chances that have come his way. Now. Obviously, he's, he's uh, what, scored 40-odd goals the year before last, 29 for us last year. So you have to say, what, what, what's going on here? And, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know whether it's uh, just confidence. Um, I, I would imagine that uh, he's not very happy about the way the team's set up. I think last season, uh, he had someone physical in there, like uh, Colin Kazim Richards, um, who could take a bit of the burden off him, I, I presume. Um, and he, uh, Leon Best doesn't really do that. Dunny didn't do that last night. Um, he needs someone who's who, who's uh, able to hold it up, bring others into play, uh, and uh, give him the space to make clever runs and uh, um, uh, and, and get the, get on the end of things. But, uh yeah, I mean, at uh, Derby, Rochina, for, for the 30 minutes, uh, he was causing problems. Um, and uh, Jordan got in a couple of good positions, uh, you know, maybe could have got one even. Uh, but, yeah, the, the team needs to be set up for Jordan Rose to, to capitalise on, on that. And if they're not going to do that, then you need someone else in there. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough one for Gary Boyer, I think. Um, but yeah, um, I was, I was um, disappointed in one sense, but also a, a little concerned about uh, about Jordan. Yeah, because uh, 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 your point about having a physical presence with him, um, I think it, it's a very valid one. Um, if you look at Huddersfield, um, when he scored his forty odd goals, he had Alan Lee playing with him. You know, who's a, a, a physical sort of presence and uh, Jordan was playing off him um, at Rovers even for a lot of the time last year unless Kazim was playing up front with him he was back to goal expected to do the physical stuff and that's just not his game uh, he likes to play off off a striker but I think this year I'm, I'm just wondering whether the speculation about Premier League clubs uh, being interested in him has has unsettled him. Not in terms of he's not giving it his all. Uh, maybe he's trying a bit too hard. You know, trying to get those goals that will put him in himself even more into the sh- shot window. Um, and and you know, say if he'd scored four or five goals, uh, this or you know, even three or four goals actually in the first few games, um, it might have pushed one of the Premier League clubs into making a firm offer for him. So I'm just wondering whether he's panicking or or not panicking, but um, snatching at chances. And, and that's why he's missing them. I mean, it shows actually how reliant we are on his goals. Um, 
Um, you know, when he doesn't score, we don't tend to score. Um, you know, you know, particularly in the league. So uh, it, it's a big worry. And I was hoping yesterday uh, that he'd he'd get his first goal and he'll be off and running again. But um, again, it did, didn't seem to happen for him. Yeah, yeah. Mm, yeah it's uh, like like I say, it's a big concern. Um, just has to see whether uh, anyone else can come in in, in the uh, transfer window and uh, we can set ourselves up slightly differently. And if I were Jordan Rhodes, I'd be incredibly frustrated with the, the terrible lack of service that uh, that I would be getting. Uh, he, he's, he's, he's used to that because he's had it pretty much for 90% of his career at Rovers. Uh, he's been working on scraps, really. Um, that's why I was amazed he got 29 goals last year. Um, but yeah, that must be incredibly frustrating for him that um, you know the service up to the front men is not good enough. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, and uh, just to round up the, the the game side, if we can just move on there, um, the Carlisle game we've uh, we've gone out of the Capital One Cup. At the, at the first hurdle, uh, losing to Carlisle on penalties. Uh, you didn't actually go up to the game, but uh, you, you saw it, I believe. Yeah, I saw it live, um, and um, it was uh, a lot of changes, obviously, to the side. Uh, created a lot of chances, actually, uh, as you'd expect um, against uh, you know lower league opposition, um, and and you know took the lead. A couple of times conceded late equalisers. Um, it was just a crazy game, to be honest. Um, uh, Jive and Songu at the back didn't look the, the best, but then they, they haven't played together, I don't think, ever. Um, so defensively, we were all over the place at times, and Carlisle were really up for that game. Um, you know, um, they were uh, really sort of. Uh, well motivated against uh, a much changed Rovers side, and uh, then you know we went to penalties and um, unfortunately uh, could, couldn't get over the line uh, uh, with the penalties. Even though uh, Carlisle missed the first one, uh, you know we 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 just couldn't couldn't get over. You know, I think we we missed our last two, and and Carlisle uh, obviously beat us. But I was at two. Always want Rovers to win, but um, the league's the, the kind of priority for for myself. Uh, um, so the cup, um, while I was disappointed that we lost, it wasn't something that I was overly sort of concerned about. I think uh, last year's FA Cup run, uh, while it was magnificent uh, until the Millwall game, <laughs> uh, it, it kind of hindered us a little bit in the league where games were being cancelled. Uh, because of our cup run, and then we were in bad form after the Millwall game, and you know we were having three games a week, and um, that was a, a big factor. Not you know, not the only factor, but uh, that the cup run was a little bit of a distraction in the end. Mm. So, so um, while I was disappointed that we lost, uh, it was a much uh, much change for oversight, and even even with the changes, we should be beating the likes of Car- Carlisle. Um, particularly when you when you take the lead in extra time as well, um, but, but you know it, it didn't just happen for for some reason. Yeah, uh, Dunny Dunny got a run out uh, against Carlisle, didn't he? Yeah, yeah, he 
you know, he, he played and he looked actually a lot leaner than he has, you know, so he's obviously been spending time uh, working out in the summer. He seems to be a lot leaner uh, than in previous years. I don't, I don't think he's ever fat. I think it was um, a lot of muscle, but he looks a lot leaner. Um, how did he do last night? Well, he's uh, so slim, I, I, I didn't recognise him for a while. <laughs> didn't realise it was Dunny, to be honest. Um, but um, mm, uh, he, he, he didn't really do much, to be honest. Um, you know, he, I would have hoped that, uh, just like Ruben uh, Rotina had done at uh, Derby, that, uh, that Dunny had uh, caused a little bit of uh, panic in the opposition uh, uh, um, defence, but... You know, he, he didn't really create anything uh, of any note. Um, yeah, I was a bit disappointed in, in Donny, to be honest. Uh, I thought he would have done a bit more. Yeah, yeah, I won't. So hopefully, um, you know, we can turn it around against Barnsley because it's increasingly becoming quite a big game. Very much so. Um, Gary Boyer, um, you know, as I see it, has really, really got his work cut out for him. Um I think it's important that we don't criticise Gary Boyer and get on his back, uh, because it, it really this is really a, a, the legacy of uh, Anderson, Keenan, Agnew, the, 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 that axis of power. Um, it, it, it's it, it's something that he's been been left with all these sort of bits and pieces that he's got to pick up from uh, two years of uh, mismanagement. Uh, I don't. Uh, I don't see that, see that there's any anything to be gained from getting on uh, Gary Boyer's back, but he, he he really does have his work cut out for him uh, in terms of uh, uh, the quality of uh, players that he's he's able to bring in. I think financially, he's going to have to ride through a very difficult period coming up. I think. Yeah, I mean, uh, from the fan side, I saw a lot of stuff last night uh, from quite a number of people. Um, Wanting, you know, Boyer out. It wasn't like or oh, Boyer out like like the Keen campaign, but um, a lot of people were questioning um, what's, you know, him being a um, manager, highlighting in inexperience, etc. So, yeah, so that was uh, quite surprising to see after just um, three league games. Um, um, you know, it's, I just think it's crazy to judge a manager after such a short period of time, particularly uh, one who's having to restructure the whole of the playing side of the club uh, under very, very, very difficult circumstances. You know, we're cost cutting, uh, we're reducing our wage budget. Uh, he's, I'm sure, he'd love to spend money and sign uh, players, you know, like Jamie Mackey or um, you know. Uh, what you know, Premier League cast-offs, so to speak, but um, he's he's not able to do that, uh, and he's not able to really spend any money, uh, even buying players from from within the Championship. Um, I know he's looked at a couple, um, but the finances that we're talking about, um, it, they're just they're just not there. So he's having to restructure the club on a shoestring budget, and then when you factor in the damage that's been done over the last two and a half years, uh, three years, sorry, under Venkis and, like you said, Keane and Anderson and Shebby Singh, etc. Uh, it's it, it's a big, big task and, you know, 
he, he just needs a little bit of patience and you can't be judging him after just three league games um, after what has been a big restructuring exercise through the summer and it's going to continue over the next two or three weeks while the transfer window shuts. But unfortunately, um, a certain person, I think in Pune, will be working on the owners. You know, The pressure uh, will be being applied from people, particularly one person who I'm not going to name, but everyone can guess who it is, uh, in, in Pune. Um, and I just hope that the owners don't listen uh, to these people and make a rash a decision like they've done in the past. I think we need stability and uh, your boy needs minimum 15 games uh, before you can even start to make some kind of judgment. Um, and you know, as fans, we just need to be a little bit patient because um, there's a losing culture at the club. Um, you know, we've been losing games on a consistent basis over the last three years um, and a start that I came across you know our league record our current owners yeah. guess what it is it's played 108 won 27 drawn 31 lost 50 goals for 128 goals against 176 goal difference minus 48 Points 112. That should tell you <laughs> everything in terms of a losing culture at the club. Yeah. Um, Wolves had something similar where they've been losing games on a consistent basis and they actually got relegated uh, you know, last year. And Kenny Jackets got a big job and he was talking about this. Um, on Sky Sports News the other the other week, where he said his biggest task was to get move players on, because not that they weren't good enough, it's just that they'd got used to losing games, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it like became a habit. So they'd be okay, and then as soon as they went a goal down, they just went you know they they, they couldn't pull things around. So he's been getting rid of those type of players and and bringing in fresh sort of players who, who've, you know, not part of that culture. And I think that's the big task that uh, Boy has got on. Um, so changing minds now would be absolute crazy because um, he, he's working to a plan. Um, uh, you know, he's restructuring the club, uh, restructuring the, the playing side of the club, uh, getting rid of the players that are high earners but not offering much. And bringing in young, hungry players. And it's going to take time for that to gel. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think we just need to be a little bit more patient and at least give him minimum 15 games before we make any uh, judgments. And, you know, people should take note of the start that that, that shows we, we, we're a club that's used to, to using, uh, to losing, sorry. Um, and that's going to take quite a while to, to, to turn around. Yeah. I'd like to thank um, Andy Neal. Um, he's uh, on Twitter uh, for that for that stat because he's the one who, who posted it and it's very, very um, uh, enlightening in terms of the losing culture at the club. Yeah, that's uh, on the message board is Furnace Blue, I think, yeah? Yeah, I mean, the, the point that Andy was making when he posted that um, 
uh, stat was uh, that non-experienced managers just don't work. That that was what he was saying, you know, because we've had Keane, we've had Berg, we've had Appleton. Um, so, so the point he was making was that non-experienced managers don't work, which, um, you know, it's hard to argue against that point, but I just think uh, with with Boyer, there's mitigating circumstances. Yeah, essentially now we've uh, we've gone from a Premier League setup to a Championship setup on the playing staff. Uh, from what I see, we've got uh, something like a Championship stroke League One uh, play, you know, playing staff at the moment, and uh, I, I think if we can just manage uh, to stay up and, and stabilise in mid-table, we'll have done pretty well. Yeah, I mean, like, like I said in the, I think our preview podcast a few weeks ago, mid-table is where uh, we, we should, we're aiming, I think. Um, I think finishing top two, that's absolutely, I don't think that's going to happen. And if we can have a really, really good season, we could get in the top ten and possibly... Uh, you know, if we're in the top ten, uh, come Easter time, have a little push for getting nicking that sixth spot. But that's if we're having an absolute brilliant season. But uh, I think the aim with the squad that we've got at present, and when you look at other teams in terms of the money they're spending and the way they're strengthening their squads, um, you know, the the best really uh, a par for us would be kind of finishing mid table um, and. And taking it from there, that'll be uh, an achievement. But obviously, a lot of our fans uh, are used to seeing us <laughs> in the Premier League and think that we're one of the uh, Championship big boys. Um, unfortunately, we're not any longer, and we we have to recalibrate our expectations because um, you know what's happened over the last three years has taken us from a very very stable. Premier League club, you know, I used to see it a bit like Fulham are at present. You know, we're not going, we weren't going to challenge the top eight of the Premier League, but we weren't going to be in, in any relegation trouble. We're just a very solid Premier League club. Um, unfortunately, that's all gone now, and um, you know, we're we're kind of a, a mid-table Championship team at best. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, the 13th anniversary of Jack's death and uh, the legacy of uh, Jack Walker uh, is absolutely phenomenal. We've uh, enjoyed the longest term in the Premier League in the top division uh, in, uh, in our uh, post-war history for sure. Uh, and all of that... Uh, yeah, is uh, is down to to Jack, Jack Walker and uh, the uh, the vision that he had, uh, of course the the money that he put into the club, and um, all of that in the last uh, two three years has uh, has been put under serious threat, and we now have the legacy of uh, the Anderson Keen Agnew axis, um, which uh, is really a blight on our club. Yeah, I mean, Jack was one in a million. You know, he took us on this uh, ride. You know, it was like a dream. You know, he 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 made all our dreams come true uh, with with his kind of vision. Um, and you know, he was determined uh, to make this club 
uh, one of the biggest clubs in in the country, um, and he did that for a few years. You know, when we won the championship, and and you know, we were regularly in the top three or four in the in the Premier League. So he he managed that. Um, then things went a little bit awry, uh, but he still kept dreaming and uh, kept financing the club and kept financing our dreams in, in some respects. And even in death, he made sure that uh, Rovers were well provided for, uh, which then got us back into the Premier League. And uh, like you said, uh, under the stewardship of uh, John Williams and the trust uh, made us the the byword for stability and being a well-run football club. Uh, that was his legacy. Uh, so it's, it's it's just heartbreaking to see what's happened to the club since it was sold. And um, um, unfortunately, uh, the trust uh, who were charged with um, uh, preserving and enhancing uh, Jack's uh, legacy with one disastrous decision to sell to to Venkis have completely destroyed that legacy. Um, and, you know, yes, there have been other people, but it was that initial decision to sell to Venkis where, um, you know, the, the dismantling of Jack's legacy uh, started. And, you know, the trust um, have to take that blame because he charged them with, with preserving and enhancing his legacy and they made one critically bad decision which has completely destroyed it but I think we should just remember the good times uh, with Jack and what he achieved and the great memories he gave us and um, you know thank him for the ride that he took us on uh, and and just be grateful for that and don't let what's happened over the last three years tarnish those memories because regardless of what happens in the future, uh, no one can take those memories away from us. You know, um, you know, winning the championship at Anfield probably after the birth of my kids was the most proudest I've felt. And then winning the, the Worthington Cup or the League Cup, uh, you know, under Graham Stunes again, magnificent moments that can never be taken away from us. And I think I posted something on Twitter earlier today to say that as fans, we need to stick together and try and rebuild Jack's legacy because we're the only ones who are going to do that. Um, you know, We'll be here long after Venkis have gone and it's up to us to stick together and try and rebuild his legacy um, and and not let what what's happened over the last three years uh, tarnish what what Jack achieved for us? Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, interesting. Last night after the game, uh, Gary Boyer um, had a post-match uh, interview, and uh, there was a statement made by him, uh, which many people on the forum were suggesting was Keen-esque. It was a bit like uh, uh, Keen's post-match conferences in, in terms of how he papered over. Uh, very obvious cracks in performances. People were suggesting that uh, Gary Boyer wasn't talking to the fans who were at the match and who, who know what what actually went on on the pitch. But it was talking uh, directly to the owners, uh, very much like Steve Keane used to do. Um, that was my impression of uh, 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 of how he was speaking. Uh, 
and for me this uh, brings up a, a problem of how the how the club is set up in terms of uh, governance. Normally the manager of the team is accountable to a CEO or managing director or whatever and it's that person who is uh, making the decisions for the football club. Uh, in our case, um, we, we saw uh, John Williams uh, and Tom Finn, uh, we saw Paul Hunt, were all bypassed as Steve Keane went direct to uh, Mrs. Design the Venkis. And uh, obviously there, there was uh, uh, a, a cer- certain element of uh, maliciousness in, in, in that relationship. But um, obviously there was an element of self-preservation uh, and I can see that to a degree in, in Gary Boyer's uh, latest statement. Basically, uh, the Venkis can't be trusted to make a, um, a half-sensible decision. Uh, so uh, Gary Boyer seem, seems to have been uh, uh, talking to them by, uh, by not actually telling it as it is. And um, I think that that's something that the fans will see through straight away. Uh, I really don't think it's a, it's a good it's a good way for for Gary himself to be going. But I mean, it's just it's just a terrible way for a football club to be run. It just, it just doesn't work like that, does it? Yeah, I mean the the statement that he made you know, on the official website um, last night. Um, it's not his finest moment, I think. Um, and when I was reading that. Um, I also thought that sounds so keen-esque. That is it's unbelievable. Um, and Gary will be aware of the elements that surround Venkis and the pressure that they're going to try and put on on uh, the owners to, to, to sack him. Because um, it's happening. I'll, I'll tell you now it's happening. Uh, I heard about it um, even before the... Um, the um, Forest game, um, and there are people around, uh, advisors, so to speak, that will be telling them to, to make a change. And uh, history shows that these guys are liable to make a, 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 um, a, a rash decision. You know, Gary was around Steve Keane and would have seen the methods he used to uh, communicate with the owners on a subconscious level, you know. Um, so it, it looked like there was a bit of that going on last night and I totally agree with you. Um, it's not the right way for him to go if he wants to maintain the the good relationship that he has with a large number of the vast majority of Rovers fans. Um, um, it's not the way to go. Um I'm hoping it's just a one-off, and uh, um, you know he he can come out and be the the honest man that I know he is, um, and um, you know, and he's got the best interests of the club at heart, and no one will convince me otherwise because I've seen the work that he's done over the last you know the, the years that he's been at the club, and he understands the club. Uh, but yeah, last night. Uh, um, the quotes that he came out with after the game. Um, I wasn't at the game, but even just going off the radio commentary, um, it wasn't it wasn't as he as he was saying. Um, so so yeah, um, not his finest moment. And 
I totally agree with you. Uh, using Keynesque med- methods um, won't wash with the funds and will just alienate funds. But yeah, I mean, going back to your original point, you're right. Um, the club, like you said, the trust used to charge John Williams with running the club. And uh, he, I mean, I'll give you a good example. He made a disastrous decision to appoint Paul Ince. <laughs> and yeah, so, you know, John was um, man enough to to realise that a mistake had been made and in consultation with uh, the trust, um, they, they, um, they made the change, you know, but Big Summit. So it was, you know, Paul Lintz was reporting to John Williams and there was a defined structure there, but that's no longer applicable, you know. Is Derek Shaw in charge? Is, you know, the owners in charge? Are other people in charge? Who's the manager reporting to? So, so yeah, yeah. Uh, that's something that definitely needs to be looked at. Yeah, and the uh, the management structure. Uh, there was obviously Paul Agnew's contract wasn't renewed. Uh, Derek Shaw. There was uh, some uh, speculation that his contract would not be renewed, but uh, then it was suggested that perhaps he was he was needed uh, for for uh, uh, to to comply with uh, FA governance. Uh, regulations and uh, there was talk in July and early August uh, about a new executive uh, structure being put in place or that perhaps a new CEO uh, what's happening on that front? Yeah it's gone all all very quiet on that front uh, there was definite uh, you know I know uh, that they, they, talk, they talked to certain people and uh, sounded out certain people and then it's all gone quiet now, whether that's to do with the transfer window and they'll pick that up again once the transfer window is closed. I'm not so sure, but it's definitely gone quiet on that front. Um, and, you know, it's not to say that Derek Shaw was going to be sacked or anything. It was just meant that they were going to maybe bring someone else in uh, to work alongside him or in, instead of him. I'm not so sure about, but uh, I suspect that might be something that they pick up on um, at the end of the at the end of the transfer window, but yeah, it's it's gone quiet on that front. Yeah. Now, um, on on the subject of transfer windows, uh, the quality of the squad uh, has gone gone down markedly uh, over the last two years. Uh, it's kind of a, a legacy of uh, Anderson, Keane, Agnew, uh, axis of power, as it were. Um, transfers in terms of uh, both incoming and outcoming uh, what's the what's the latest uh, in that uh, respect um, we're, we're definitely uh, going to be bringing a striker in on loan uh, with the injuries to Campbell and Regina uh, you know th- those two are out for medium term you know so more than a month uh, we've only got best and Rhodes um, as your frontline strikers um, so they're going to be bringing someone in on loan they'd hope to do so um, before the um, the Doncaster game um, but but that didn't materialise um, it's a case of one in one out so with Maro Formica uh, moved to Kras Azul I think that's how you say it uh, in Mexico um, 
he, um, you know, he's passed a medical there. Um, he signed a three-year contract and he's subject to going through the Mexican immigration processes uh, now before that one can be finalised. Um, but yeah, um, they'd hoped that would be done by Friday, but it, it, it wasn't, so it's going to drag into this week. But as soon as that one's done, I can see a striker coming in. Um, they've been offered a number of strikers, Luke Moore and, and, and a few others, so it'll just be the, which one Gary feels uh, is the one to plump for uh, in terms of a loan. So it won't be a permanent signing. I'd be surprised if it's that, but it will be a loan signing uh, maybe till January uh, or possibly uh, till, till the end of the season. Um, other incoming, there's nothing immediate, um, but outgoings, we've talked about Formica, Dunn, uh, Dan, sorry, is still being linked with a number of Premier League clubs, including Fulham um, and Sunderland and Aston Villa. They're all interested. There were a lot of scouts um, at the um, Forest game, um, I'm told, uh, from, from a number of Premier League clubs. Now, they could only have been watching Hanley, Dan and Rhodes, I would say. You know, those are were the ones that possibly are going to attract Premier League interest. Um, so, yeah, Dan's on the radar of a number of clubs, but no formal bid has come in. Uh, the other one is Jordan Rhodes. Um, he's now on Newcastle's radar, um, definitely on their radar, uh, from a very, very good source uh, has told me that. Uh, Newcastle have tried to sign a number of strikers, Darren Bent, uh, Gomez from Lyon, None of them have come off at the moment, so uh, Jordan was down the list. But because their first targets haven't come out, come off now, they, they they're looking at at, at Rhodes. Um, obviously, if Newcastle do come in for him, then um, I suspect uh, Rhodes will want to move. You know, it's a big club, it's a Premier League club, well-established Premier League club. So uh, he'd see see as that as a big step up. Uh, but whether they'd be willing to pay the money that Rovers asking for is a completely different question or whether we'll see uh, a money plus a player kind of exchange. Uh, you know, so so they, they, they're interested in Rhodes. Fulham, <laughs> again, are still interested in, in Rhodes. And, um, you know, come, I'd be amazed, I said this in the, in the last podcast, I'd be amazed if we get to the end of the transfer window and we've not had um, a Premier League club submitting a formal offer for for, for Rhodes, you know, them testing the water. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll just have to wait and see what one develops. Other than that, uh, you know, you've got the likes of um, uh, GV, you know, nothing concrete on him. Um, uh, Paul Robinson's um, um, getting back. Um, he's on some tablets at the moment, which is stopping him from from taking part. But um, uh, hopefully he'll be off those tablets soon, and there'll be a decision to be uh, made about him. Uh, Morton Pedersen uh, is possibly off to Denmark. Um, he's been talking to a his representatives been talking to a a club in Denmark. Um, uh, so so that's something that could happen next week. So. It's very much a case of one in, one out, I think, now. So if they get someone out, then um, we can bring someone in. So Formica is the one that's most immediate. That one looks like it's going to happen. The, 
So I assume he'll be gone and a striker will come in. And then if we can get rid of uh, the likes of Pedersen, Jive, uh, possibly a Tuhu as well, uh, then then others will be coming in. And obviously if we sell Dan and, uh, you know, God forbid, Jordan Rhodes, then um, that might give audience uh, some money to spend as well. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think it's going to be a, a interesting end to the last two weeks of, of the transfer window. Yeah. And now you're suggesting that uh, one in, one out could be the policy, but uh, we've got something like 40-odd uh, senior pros in there. Uh, yeah. Is, is it not the case that they're trying to cut down not just the uh, uh, the wage bill, but also the, the numbers? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure, like, like Adinho Jr. has gone off to uh, uh, a non-league club uh, for a month, so those kind of deals will also be done when they, they send players out. We've got a very bloated squad uh, and it needs to be reduced. But um, in terms of like first team players, you know, I think Boyer wants to bring more players in, but he needs to get rid of some to then free up the budgets to bring others in. But yeah, we've got a very bloated squad and uh, a lot of other players need to go. Uh, the fringe players like Rosado, uh, like uh, you know, Adinho Jr., Paul Jorge, you know, uh, there's loads of these players uh, hanging around, and, and that also needs to be addressed. But I think immediately it is getting rid of the likes of Omika, then bringing in people who who are going to be challenging for for the first team. Yeah, and Scott Dan, do do you think the chances of him still being at the Rovers are, are slim or? How well, do you rate yeah. his chances of staying? I mean, it's a weird one. He's, honestly, I've been hearing about Dan for about eight, well, a year of Premier League interest, and there are definitely clubs looking at him, but uh, no one's made that formal offer. Um, so you know, I heard this last August, and then in January, and then all through the summer, and then now. There are definitely clubs interested in him, but um, no one's got to the stage of making uh, a formal offer, so you've you've just got to wonder whether uh, one will materialise. Uh, whereas with Rhodes, I'd be amazed if we didn't get an offer. Uh, with with Dan, I'm I'm less sure about. Right. Yeah. Well, it'd be interesting to see how much money is made available from the sales of uh, Formica, uh, Scott Dan, and. Uh, potentially uh, Jordan Rhodes, whether it just goes to servicing uh, debt. Yeah, I mean, well, if you just go off um, uh, the Martin Olsen sale, uh, you know, uh, we sold him for two, two and a half million. That money, a large proportion of it was made available because, you know, we put a £1.7 million bid in for uh, Jay Spearing, um, you know, so, so. That was coming from the Olsen money, um, and then eventually we, we put um, your know, money a bid in for Barry Bannon seven hundred and fifty thousand, uh, and then we ended up with Corey Evans. But um, it showed we sold Olsen, money came in, and a proportion of that was was made available. So I would expect the same if 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 other players were sold. Yeah, well, we'll see, but uh, yeah. Uh, important thing is that uh, uh, things are done this this coming week rather than uh, in the last week of the uh, the transfer window. We don't want to be left uh, a couple of gaping gaps in uh, in the first team squad. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it has to be done. I mean, the good thing is the transfer window uh, closes on the 2nd of September. Uh, and because of international fixtures, uh, there's a gap between the window closing and the, the next game, which is Burnley. So that, again, if you're bringing in certain players, even on deadline day, there's a couple of weeks for them to uh, work with, with, with Boyer, you know, in training, etc. And um, you know, it's, there's a gap. You know, it's not like it closes on Monday or, or I think, yeah, Monday the 2nd of September and there's a game on Wednesday. Um, there's a little bit of a gap. So, so, so that could work to our advantage as well. Yeah. Well, we've, uh, we've looked at uh, the Forest, Derby and Donny games and uh, also very briefly at the Carlisle game. And uh, we've discussed Gary Boyer and uh, club management issues. And uh, finally, we've rounded up with the transfers. Uh, just a, a little uh, shout for someone on the message board. Uh, last night, I went over to Doncaster from Sheffield, uh, met a, a couple on the uh, uh, station uh, platform at uh, Sheffield, and uh, you know, he was wearing his uh, Rovers kit. It turns out uh, he's a member of the BRFCS uh, message board, one of the very many who, who don't... Uh, um, post very very frequently uh, he's called uh, Paul Larriga uh, on the uh, on the message board but uh, yeah he was there with his uh, with his girlfriend uh, it was her first match ever they've been going out for donkey's years but uh, first time he's managed to to uh, uh, take her along to to a, a Rovers match and uh, unfortunately it was the Doncaster match which wasn't uh, a very good advert for for, for her but um, yeah, a lovely couple, and uh, interestingly, he's a, he's a local Sheffield lad, um, born and bred, and uh, he started following Rovers in the late nineties. So uh, soon after he'd started following the Rovers, uh, <laughs> we went down um, in ninety uh, nine. But uh, he, he stuck with it, and uh, he's followed us uh, throughout uh, throughout that time. He's still a Rovers fan. It's, it's great. Uh, still travels around, especially uh, to the to the matches in this area. And uh, yeah, it was, it was great to meet him. So um, uh, that's a, a shout to uh, Paul and uh, and uh, and his and his girlfriend. So uh, hello to you both. Also uh, met someone uh, at Doncaster Station uh, who was again a, a local Doncaster lad with his uh, Man United supporting father and it uh, turns out a uh, very similar story he, he's a local Donny lad who was uh, brought up as a Man United fan but uh, uh, as a young kid decided he wanted to uh, to, to follow a proper football team and uh, 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 for some reason he, he chose the Rovers and yeah, very similar he, uh, he's, he's followed us through thick and thin uh, since then he makes it over to, to Ewood uh, quite regularly as well and uh, yeah, both of them say that they, they see uh, Rover shirts around uh, Sheffield and Doncaster from time to time. So it's, it's good to hear about the uh, the wider uh, family of Rovers fans. So uh, yeah, that's uh, that's uh, that's all I have uh, for today. Um, we look forward to joining you again, uh, possibly next week uh, if we can fit in a podcast after the Barnsley game. 
that uh, from from us all here at BRFCS. Uh, thanks ever so much for listening. Uh, just like to say thank you to Cami for joining us. Yeah, pleasure as always. Yeah, thanks for coming on. And uh, wherever you are in the world, uh, we do hope you do take good care. Thanks ever so much for listening in. Sports Social Podcast Network. Asante came to TurboTax after graduating from culinary school and landing a job in the hottest kitchen in town. My hands are full all day, every day. I love it. Asante, as your TurboTax expert, I'll make your moves count, guaranteeing 100% accurate filing and your maximum refund. Sound good? Yes, expert! Switch to Intuit TurboTax and make your moves count. See guarantee details at TurboTax.com slash guarantees. Experts only available with TurboTax Live. This break is brought to you by Adobe Photoshop. Here's a fun fact. Every day, millions of people around the world use Photoshop to create all kinds of cool stuff. Designs for t-shirts and posters, graphics to promote brands and businesses, images for social and websites. Anyone can do it. And to the guy who put a bulldog's head on a parakeet's body, you, sir, are a genius. Get started for free today. Click or tap the banner to head over to Photoshop.com. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.